open your Bibles to Psalm 23. If you're, if you're just joining us, if you're uh, new, we're, we're concluding a mini-series in Psalm 23, but it's really part of a, a broader series this fall on how Jesus is our Good Shepherd. We're trying to understand in more practical and concrete ways God's design to care for His sheep you know, here, this, this side of glory, um, uh, this, uh, this morning actually we're going to be focusing specifically on verse 6, the end of Psalm 23, where uh, the psalm sort of ends where it began, um, where you've got um, a place of rest in the beginning. There's green pastures and still waters at the end. Uh, there's rest, but it's a different kind of rest. Uh, it's a very special kind of rest because it's the rest that you have not along the way on the journey, maybe where you pull over at a rest stop or you, know, you get something to eat. Um, this is not green pastures and still waters on this journey through uh, a desert, on a journey through the valley of the shadow of death, or the journey uh, that involves you know, confronting our enemies and so on. No, this kind of rest is the rest of arrival. Uh, this is the rest that you get when you finally let down. You put your suitcases down, you fall on the bed, and you're just, all right, I've finally made it. After a long journey. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord and a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, would you bless the reading and hearing and receiving of your word? Would you show us in a clearer way the goodness and the mercy that you that you promised to pursue us with. Would you show us the glory of the Good Shepherd? Would you uh, just help us see Jesus, we ask in His name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Brought with me um, my, my cosmetic mirror uh, this morning, because naturally I have one of these. Um, anyway, um, Here's how it works for a lot of us in, in our Christianity. Um, and kind of no matter what background you come from, maybe you've been Presbyterian for a long time, maybe you grew up Baptist, maybe you grew up you know, non-denominational, maybe you didn't grow up in a church at all, but you still sort of have this idea of what spirituality is, what religion's all about. Um, even, even, even those who walk steadily with the Lord, even those who've you know, been around the, the block a lot, and are mature, um, we all struggle with this dynamic of basically we look in the mirror, we, we look at our reflection, and, and, and our tendency is to think, God's a lot like me. God, 
God is very, very similar in character to me, which is convenient when, you know, I want what I want and, you know, expect God to give it to me, but it's actually not really great news when you stop and pause and think about who we are as human beings. If God is like us, then what do we say? What we're saying is that God looks like me. He is moody. God, if He's like me, it means that He's temperamental. If God's like me, it means that He gets bored. If God's like me, it means that uh, He gets impatient and loses His temper. That He's hard to please. That He can get on my bad side. Right? I mean, is that, is that the God of the Bible? Um, is that the God of of Psalm 23. I I think there's really good news for us here. We see some things about God that are radically, radically different from from who you and I are. And we get a break from the mirror when we look actually at the true reflection of who God is, the reflection that we see uh, in Scripture of the face of God. So uh, right out of the chute in verse 6, this refrain that, I mean, most of us, maybe even all of us uh, in this room have heard before, surely Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23, everybody loves Psalm 23. And especially because of verse 6, right? This promise that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So this promise, first of all, of goodness, right? That God's goodness would follow me. And, and what is goodness? Um, goodness is not, it's not niceness. Like it's a big difference between being good and being nice. Being, being nice means you're going you're gonna to do what's polite. You're going to do what's sort of socially appropriate. You're not going to you know, ruffle feathers. You're not going to make waves. But being good means that you are committed to doing what is right and what is beneficial at all times. And God's goodness pursues us. Um, there's another phrase here. His mercy uh, pr- follows us all the days of our life. Um, and it's a special word in the Hebrew, chesed. It means His loving kindness. His, his covenantal kindness. This promise that wells up from within the, the soul of God to commit to doing good to us, to being kind to us, to being loving toward us. And it all starts with him. It all was prompted in him. It didn't have anything to do with us getting on his good side, you know, being on good behavior, getting our rewards, checking the box, or any of that. It's all because it originated in him. Um, Jeremiah 32 sums it up really, really well. It makes this connection between goodness and covenantal kindness. The prophet is speaking for God who says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. This unilateral promise that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good. That's the heart of God who is happy to do good to us. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all of my soul. That's God speaking. And that's not how you and I relate. 
God is overwhelming in His capacity to bless us with goodness and mercy or loving kindness. Um, Kathy and I had talked for a long time how fun it would be, how much we'd love to go see Niagara Falls. You know, and, and it had been on our list for years. We've been married 26 years, and like, we're just, we're, it was like taking forever to figure out how are we going to get to Niagara Falls. Um, it had always been on our list, but, but we never got there because, well, I mean, it's in Buffalo, New York, and, and, it, and it's, in, it's a waterfall, granted, but it's Niagara Falls, so it's a waterfall you should see, but at the end of the day, it's a waterfall. We've seen lots of waterfalls. It's in Buffalo, New York. Like, it's on the way to nowhere. Um, we're, we're, we never, it was never, like, on the way to someplace else where we could stop off and see Niagara Falls. So it would have to be its own special destination. And just, it just took us forever to finally go. And we took a weekend this summer. And we spent Friday night and Saturday night. And we went and saw Niagara Falls. We drove to Buffalo just to see Niagara Falls. Blew me away. It, you can't call it a waterfall. It is a mountain of water. It is just breathtaking in all of its scope. Whether you're seeing it from the American side, from the Canadian side, better still, go get on the boat, the Maid of the Mist, ride the boat out to the base of, of um, uh, Horseshoe Falls, and you just it's just coming down and coming down, and it's this panoramic onslaught of water, and it doesn't stop. It's just more water than you can possibly imagine constantly going over that precipice. And you just, you feel so small and you feel so astounded. And you realize it just keeps on going. And we went to bed and we got up the next morning. We looked out the window. It's still going. It had been flowing all night. All night. All that volume of water just impossible to conceive of, going over that cliff and on into the river. And uh, it just, I was so glad we went. It was, a, it was astounding. It was a worship experience because it reminded me that God's goodness and mercy flow in such a way that it makes Niagara Falls look like a cataract. It makes Niagara Falls look like, yeah, that's nice. But God's goodness and mercy flow relentlessly. Like there's this word here, right, um, for follow. Uh, God's goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Um, that's a special word too. Like it, it works. The word follow is accurate, but there's other English words uh, like the translators have a job sometimes, like here's a word in Hebrew or Greek, and then we've got to figure out what's the best English word, what's the best equivalent word. And there could be two, three, sometimes four legitimate English variations to get across the concept that's communicated in the original language. So here you've got the word for follow, and follow works, but, but follow sort of has, it's developed a connotation, at least for me, maybe for you, but when I think of following, I don't think of something very powerful. Instead, sometimes you get the impression that if something's following you, it's lagging behind. Uh, it's trying to keep up. Or, I don't know, maybe some of you can relate to having a younger brother or a younger sister when you were little, 
and your little brother or your little sister would follow you around, and you're trying to like, come on, like leave me alone already. Um, you just they're there to annoy you. <laughs> like, do you have that connotation of what it means for something to follow you? Or, or maybe, maybe when you, when, when you think of following, um, think of it this way: the word means to pursue. It means it means literally to chase you. And so when you think of somebody pursuing you or chasing you, you might imagine what it feels like to see the blue flashing lights in your rearview mirror. Oh no, how fast was I going? Take the foot off the gas, you know? Um, And you think of being pursued in that way. Uh, We don't think that that's a good thing. We immediately draw the wrong conclusion. Oh no, something bad's about to come down. You know what it's like, right, when you pass somebody and uh, the police officers pulled them over, and you go, oh, that's not good for them, too bad, you know, they got busted. Or it's even worse when you see two police officers, you know, two squad cars behind somebody. You're thinking, that person isn't getting a ticket, they're going to jail, something bad is going down. Goodness and mercy are the two police cars that are pulling you over, not to punish you, not to prosecute you, not to condemn you, not to make your life difficult, but instead to give you a police escort to get you home, to get you safely home, to get you to your destination. Paul, I mean, Paul, um, David writes Psalm 23, and he says, surely goodness and mercy will pursue me, will chase me, uh, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That David is certain of this, right? Surely. How sure are you? Are you sure? Are you sure that God's mercy and goodness are pursuing you? Like relentlessly, like Niagara-ly. Um, are you certain of that? Or are you looking and thinking that God is like you? kind of irritated. And he's got an on-off valve when it comes to his goodness and his mercy, and it has a lot to do with how you behave, right? Like God's moody. And sometimes I'm on his good side and sometimes I'm not. You know, God's like me. He's, he's, he's bored. He's, he's not thinking of me. He's off doing something else. His mind's wandering or whatever. Like, is that how you think of God? If that's how we think of God, then surely goodness and mercy cannot possibly be pursuing me all the days of my life. Fits and starts at best. God is not a reflection of you. That is not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible surely is pursuing you. He pursued you into this building this morning. His goodness and His mercy followed you through those doors, sat you down so that you can be reminded God is not like you. He's relentless in His pursuit. And He's relentless in His grace, right? Right? He's relentless in all of His goodness, in all of His posture toward us. Um, it's worth noting, I think, that Psalm 23 ends with this picture of dwelling in the Lord's house forever. And then Psalm 24, um, like it's too much to say, it picks up the, the narrative. But they, they're not accidental in how they've been coupled together. It's this picture in Psalm 24 of a celebration of the glorious King, the victorious, glorious King coming home. Arriving home from the battlefield, from conquest, from protecting his people. 
And Psalm 24, verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He, he is the King of glory, right? So what makes this King so glorious? This homecoming King, this King who's coming into His house to dwell. What makes Him so glorious? Well, one of the things we know is that He has power to conquer His enemies. He's a victorious King. He's coming back from battle. He's the Lord of armies. And He has made this, this dynamic uh, battle His. So in Revelation 17, we hear about Jesus who is the Lamb of God, and how the the nations, the enemies of God, will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So Jesus is the one who Psalm 24 is pointing to, this glorious King who has conquered His enemies. But He did it in a very um, confusing way. What kind of king conquers his enemies by dying? How does that work? Well, Jesus did something that nobody saw coming. He laid down his own life as a sacrifice. And in sacrificing himself, he was paying the penalty uh, for our sins. He was, he was removing death's sting. He was reversing the curse. He was doing what was necessary actually to obtain the victory. So it doesn't seem to make sense to our eyes, but in God's economy, it was His wisdom made manifest. It made perfect sense at the resurrection when Jesus is vindicated. He he is justified in what He did. He is proved right and effective in what He did at the cross. And that means that everybody who puts their faith in Jesus and is united to Jesus, who identifies with Jesus, He's my representative. He's my substitute. When that's our relationship with Jesus, then we are united to Him in His death. We go through death with Him, and we're united with Him in His resurrection, which means that His victory is our victory, which means that His power is our power. The cross looked like defeat, I get it, but the resurrection proved that He was victorious. And so if we love Him, we follow Him, we're united to Him. We get that victory with Him. And if Jesus had the power and the ability to conquer His enemies through His death and resurrection, If he reigns right now, then that means that he also has the power, the ability to deliver us. If he has the power and ability to defeat his enemies, that means that he has the power and the ability to deliver us and to bring us safely home. That's what is fundamental to his glory. That's what makes him a glorious king and a glorious shepherd. That goodness and mercy follow us. They're that police escort. The good shepherd is out in front. He's the vanguard in front, and he's also got our back. And he will guarantee to bring us safely home. That's the picture that you have in Psalm 23. He hems me in behind and before, and he brings us home into his house. And then what happens? Um, What happens when we get into his house? We're given some pictures of that earlier in the psalm. We're told that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, and in this world, in this life, in this journey, He provides for us, just like Israel in the desert. They had enough manna for each day. And we pray, Lord, give us our daily bread so that we would not lack. 
But the house of the Lord is better, right? It's not a pit stop. It's not a rest stop. It's home where the cupboards are full and the refrigerator's stocked and there's this beautiful smell in the air and we get this feast. So the hope of Psalm 23 is not to just sort of hang out in the green pastures or beside the still waters. It's certainly not to stay put in the valley of the shadow of death. It's certainly not to hang out with our enemies. It's to move through that, to get home. The hope of Psalm 23 is to arrive at the house of the Lord. So what God is doing right now is He's preparing that place for us. Jesus said it Himself that He's going to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't tell you this. I wasn't doing it. And I'll come back and I'll take you to be with Me where I, where I am. He's, he's in our future. Did you ever think about God that way? God's in your future. The Good Shepherd's in your future. He's at the lead. He's, he's ahead of you. And He's preparing that future for you. Inviting you, come, follow Me into the place, into the future I've prepared for you. And in our eternal future, He's preparing a home for us. And when we arrive there, we will not want. Forever. Forever and ever. Our cup will overflow. Forever. And it will overflow with things like joy. We'll have joy finally forever. It will never be taken away. You'll never have an instance where you're scared, where you're you know, not feeling content, where you're not feeling joyful. Uh, you'll be peaceful. Heaven's, our heavenly home will be a peaceful place where you'll be free from anxiety. No more worry. Our, our heavenly home is a, a place where there's community, where we belong, where we're not going to worry about being lonely anymore. Our, our heavenly home is a place of glory of victory where we're not going to be losers anymore. We're not going to feel defeated. And, and it's ultimately a, it's a place of love, right? Heaven's this place of, of, of love. Um, all these things are, are true of heaven. Uh, and and they're, they're sort of common in, in people's view of heaven. Like you don't have to be a Christian to imagine those things are true. You don't have to be a Christian to, to believe that that's what heaven is like. Like lots of different Religious backgrounds have this view of an afterlife, a paradise that's really beautiful and, and you know, they, they long for. Even non-Christian, even non-spiritual people, even agnostic people are like, well, I don't really know what to expect, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be good. There's something really distinct about the joy and the peace and the community and the, the glory and the love of the home that Jesus is preparing for us. Because that, heaven's, heaven's joy, for instance, is not generic joy. It's not a disassociated joy that exists by itself. It's the joy that is the property of somebody else that is given to us. Jesus said, my joy I give to you. It's Jesus' joy that we will enjoy in our heavenly home. How about peace? It's not generic peace. It's not a disconnected kind of shalom. It's, it's the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. It's His peace that He gives us. What about the community? 
you know, people love community. Everybody wants to belong, but heaven's community is a, is a, is a particular kind of community. It's called the body of Christ. It's called the bride of Christ. It belongs to him. It's connected to him. So again and again, I mean, think about the glory of heaven. It's the glory of Jesus' victory, not our victory. What's he accomplished for us, not what we accomplished for him. It's the love of Jesus. It's I have loved you, love one another. Use the love that I give you. Overflow with that love. You, you can't muster this on your own. And so, again and again, the picture of heaven is that it's a place that's centered around Jesus. It's a place where we see Jesus. It's a place where we long for more of Jesus and all of the derivatives that come from being in relationship with Jesus. That's the glory of heaven. That's why Paul would say, I desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better than any blessing I could have on this earth being with Jesus. There are eternal pleasures at his right hand. He is the source. He's the fountain. He's the originator and the giver of all of those gifts. So heaven is fundamentally about being in his house. Um, I got this email this week. It was Wednesday. I believe it was actually at 11.58 p.m. Got an email from Hulu, you know, the streaming provider. You can sign up for Hulu. Watch whatever shows you want. You know what the, the heading of the email was? I'm so thankful to get this email. I've been waiting for this offer for all my life because the subject line of that email said, everything you've ever wanted. <laughs> Hulu is promising to give me everything I've ever wanted. And, I mean, what do you do when you read that? I don't think that's good marketing. I don't think they can deliver on that promise. But the world's full of those promises. Full of empty promises. And Jesus is the one who gives us joy. True joy. Not a counterfeit joy. Not not an embezzled kind of joy that actually belongs to him, but you're enjoying on the side. He's the source. So, man, I want to get there. I want that. I want to be in that house forever, right? How do we get there? Like, back, let me go back to Psalm 24, if you're, the, if you're still, if you've got your Bibles open. Look at the beginning, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? See who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Is heaven your true home? Is that where you really want to be because heaven's blessings are you can't you can't um, take them away from Jesus you can't disassociate them from Jesus is that your true home or have you sort of made your home here on earth is earth your home are you comfortable here like 
Is, is the dynamic uh, that's difficult for you in your relationship with God, is it the fact that, okay, God promises to pursue me with His goodness, but I don't feel a lot of goodness in my life because I'm not getting a lot of this world's goods. Well, that's not what God promised you when He meant goodness. He's giving you the goods that come from heaven, from your true home, not this home. Yes, every earthly blessing we have, they're, 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 they are good and we give thanks to Him, but we don't confuse those gifts with the giver. They don't become a substitute for Him. They don't become idols. And so the true question is, do I even want to be there where Jesus is at the center? And if the answer is yes, then do you, do you know if you can enter? Like, do you have the clean hands and a pure heart? I know I don't. None of us does. And so the real way into that place of glory and goodness and love and light is to not rely on my effort to keep my hands clean or my effort to have a pure heart because that's going to fail. Instead, I lean on and trust in the one whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure, Jesus. Lean on Him. Trust in Him. He takes us through the pearly gates. Not just sort of like oh, you need some help, you're limping along, you you have a sprained spiritual ankle or whatever, here, let me help you. No, he throws our lifeless, you know, bodies over his shoulders and a fireman carry and takes us through those pearly gates and gives us life. He does it. What will make heaven to be heaven is the presence of Jesus. This is J.I. Packer in his classic Knowing God. It says, what will make heaven to be heaven is the presence of Jesus. And of a reconciled divine Father who loves us for Jesus' sake no less than He loves Jesus Himself. To see and know and love and be loved by the Father and the Son in company with the rest of God's vast family is the whole essence of the Christian hope. Do you seek His face? The ancient blessing is may the Lord bless you and make His face shine upon you. Is that what you want? Let me go back to the mirror. Um, <clears throat> the mirror actually is quite helpful if we stop looking at it and trying to imagine that God looks like us. Um, what we're actually looking for are reflections of the face of Jesus. We, we need to see Jesus. We need more of His goodness. We need more of His mercy. I want to get in on that. I want to feel more of His love, more of His joy. How can, I, how can I see more of Jesus? And He shows us reflections of who He is and His goodness and His character in lots of different ways. Paul said, in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, right? Mirrors never an accurate reflection, especially ancient mirrors that were polished metal and they had, you know, they weren't smooth and they had distortions and so you can only see sort of like a distorted reflection. So Paul's saying any mirror, any reflection we have of the goodness of God is, is dim at best, but we can get them. So if it's been a while since you've seen the face of Jesus, if it's been a while since you've reflected on His glory and have felt that connection to Him, does anybody know that about you? Or are you just kind of pretending, acting like you and Jesus are tight when you're not? You've got this secret life over here or secret doubts or secret despair. Like, don't keep that a secret. You need to see Jesus. And the way that Jesus shows us his reflection is generally in the faces of one another. We need the body of Christ. We need one another. You've got to go and 
tell a brother or sister who you trust, look, I need prayer. I need you to help me. I, I don't feel like I can see Jesus very clearly right now. And that brother or sister will help you. And actually, they become that reflection. Inaccurate at best, but nonetheless a reflection where you can see some of the love, some of the mercy of Jesus. God also gives us, as we're talking about this uh, series on our Good Shepherd, God gives you elders who can be reflections of Jesus and who can help us see His face more clearly. Shepherds who care for your soul, who pray for you. And we are, um, we've mentioned along the way that we're, we're working hard right now to implement a, a new shepherding model that will get started in the new year uh, where our goal, our hope, is that you're going to feel far more comfortable talking to your elders about how you're doing spiritually. Like, well, that's going to feel more natural, more organic, more relational, and we're, we're working to try to improve that. Don't forget about the other reflections that we have to see Jesus. They're just called the means of grace. I know they're not, um, they're not very exciting when it comes to like, what the world offers, but man, they sure are helpful. It's called the Word of God. And we see Jesus' face in here. And in prayer. And if you're not reading this, if you're not praying, if you're not taking the time to come and worship, if this isn't a regular part of your life, like this weekly engagement with the gospel where I can see a reflection of Jesus, like if this is sort of optional for you, then guess what? It's going to be hard to see the face of Jesus. But every time we look in the means of grace, of worship, of ministry, of mission, of prayer, of Scripture, of community, of fellowship. Every time we're looking there, we get to see more of Jesus. That draws us closer to Him. We get more of our Good Shepherd. We get in on more of His joy, more of His peace, more of the community of heaven, more of the glory, more of the love that our good shepherd pursues us with relentlessly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for pursuing us, chasing us even.